So as I said, if we haven't met yet, my name's Anna. I'm one of our pastors, and um, I'm so excited to be sharing with you today, uh, continuing and finishing off this uh, series that we've done in January called Rhythms. And I have personally loved it because it just sets you up so well uh, for the year, thinking about what foundations do we want to set and what rhythms do we want to have in our life so that we're intentional about who we're becoming. And so I've just loved this series, and it's my privilege to finish it off with us together today. I'm coming uh, back from being on holidays. Last week I was away, uh, and the best part about this holiday is that I was in a place that got no phone reception, it had no internet, there were no shops, no cafes, no nothing except just beach. And so if I didn't reply to your message, that's why. Um, but also it was just an amazing time to restore and just refresh. And something that I love to do on holidays, I don't know if I've got any other fans out there, is read. It's just such a great pastime of reading on the beach or when the storms come in in the afternoon, getting a tea and reading a great book. And one of the books that I have been working through is this one here, and it's called Letters to a Young Congregation. And Eugene Peterson, who wrote the translation of the message, this is actually his son, uh, Eric Peterson, who pastors a church. And he writes these letters as he reflects on how he is creating um, his pastoral identity and sowing into his young congregation. And so I've been loving learning from him. Uh, but one of the letters just fits perfectly with this theme that we've got going on. And I'd love to share with the story that he opens this letter about him being 21 years old and he has a summer job as driving a Greyhound bus. And so he clocks up these hours behind the wheel where he is picking up and dropping off people at the age of 21 uh, behind this big bus day in, day out. And what he realises is this bus has installed what's called a governor. And what this does is it actually restricts how fast he can drive. And so regardless of how heavy he puts his foot on that accelerator, it will only let him go a certain amount of miles per hour, which as you can imagine for a 21-year-old boy is torture. He remembers, though, back to his days as a teenager, where he used to do the lawns and mow the lawns as part of his chores. And he remembered that the lawnmower actually had the same system, where it had this governor in place, which meant that it restricted the revs, it restricted the power uh, in order to protect the engine. And what he did as a teenager, thank goodness it wasn't on the Greyhound bus, but on the lawnmower, he took out the governor so that he could enjoy the powerful motor of this lawnmower and try and get his chore done quicker. And so he took it out and was immediately impressed at how fast this lawnmower went, uh, only for the lawnmower not very soon after to actually throw the pistol rod and damage the engine and therefore the lawnmower didn't work anymore. He learnt his lesson about the importance of the governor. In his letter, though, to the young congregation, he is reminded about the pastoral importance of how much we are tinkering, perhaps, with our God-given governor in our lives. How often do we have this pace that is unsustainable? He says this, In a variety of ways, we tinker with our God-given governors that keep us from throwing a rod to our peril. 
We've adopted these lifestyles that are exceeding the specification in which we were designed. We pack in way more work. Uh, we sleep less. We consume stimulants to keep us away, to pack more in. And what Eric here is saying is that perhaps that's not how we were designed. Perhaps that's actually going to do us damage in the long run. And we're given this example of, of a, the God-given governor in our lives through the Gospels where we see Jesus, and he actually took the pace of a pedestrian. And so I don't know if you remember back to the very first week in this series, we looked at the ruthless elimination of hurry from our lives, saying that when we walk through life at a very fast pace, so when we run and sprint through life, we often will lose sight of what God is doing. We don't have space for what he is doing. And often we actually find ourselves outpacing Christ. So in order to live the life Jesus lived, we need to walk the way that Jesus walked, one that is without hurry and one that is pressing in and creating space for time with God. But it is so easy to be busy it is so easy to do life fast. You know, when was the last time that you chose the longest grocery line? <laughs> Who does that? My mum, when I was younger, we used to play this game. I hated it, but it, it was fun. Um, where she would say, you stand in that line and I'll stand in this line. And we'll see which one gets to the checkout quicker. That gave me anxiety. Because why was if I got there quicker and she had to get a, all of her trolley over? And no, not about that. Um, but when was the last time you only did one thing at a time? When was the last time you actually drove the speed limit? All these things that position us in a place where we have to be patient are so hard for us to do. But John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which we've been encouraging you to read, and if you haven't yet, there's still the rest of the year, so get amongst it. Uh, but this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, what John Mark Comer does is he encourages us to practice slowing down. And he quotes John Ortberg, who is kind of this uh, guru in spiritual health and spiritual disciplines and attending to our souls. And what he says when defining slowing, he says, cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. I don't know if that sounds like a spiritual discipline or modern day torture, but intentionally putting ourselves in positions where we have to wait. Why would we do that? Why would we grieve ourselves of that except to not then skim through life? You know that feeling when it's already Thursday and you realise that you haven't done any of the work that you're meant to do in the week? You've only got one more day to do it before the whirlwind of the weekend comes. That feeling where you think, oh my gosh, is it Sunday already? Are we in church again already? We skim through life because we don't have this rhythm of slowing and being present and intentional. We want to live life at a pace where we're actually able to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I want in my life. I wonder how many of us today, myself included, are tinkering with our God-given governor in our life. I wonder if you're in church today and, you know, you just want an hour to yourself. This is like a gift. 
I wonder how many of you are sitting here and you are thinking about the groceries, the lunches that you need to make, the things that are on this week. You're planning your schedule. I wonder how many of you are just counting the panels on the roof because the idea of taking in any more information is exhausting. I wonder if you're here at the end of your rope just wanting the refreshment that is found in church. Regardless, though, of how you've turned up today, regardless of how intact the governor is in your life, Jesus offers us all a beautiful invitation, one that we've mentioned throughout this series because it's so paramount that we understand this invitation and then the gift and the reward that is found in Christ. It's found in Matthew 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Such is an invitation that is open to all of us. It's free for the taking. It's beautiful in its exchange. But how often do we actually neglect this very invitation? How often do we think that It's too costly. It takes too much. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resource in the tank to be able to come to Christ. It costs too much. Pastor John, last week, he referenced Psalm 23, which is a beautiful psalm that gives imagery around this idea of rest. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Both of these are invitations where it actually costs us very little. Jesus says, come to me, and then he'll do the rest. He'll provide the rest for your soul. In Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I actually lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. There's not much that we have to do, an amazing amount that then we receive in him, that refreshment of our souls. So there's rest found in Christ, but how much more is there if we then remain there? The idea of coming to him, establishing him as our shepherd, but then remaining in him is really where the richness is found. Jesus, in his final words to his disciples, Uh, Right before he goes to the cross, there's this encounter where he's got his 12 followers and they're in a room together sharing a meal. And Jesus says some of the most profound things to him before uh, he goes to the cross. He sits them down and he he says this, uh, this beautiful picture, actually, this imagery and metaphor found in John 15. Jesus talking to his disciples says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what is Jesus saying here? There's a lot of vines and fruit and bearing and all that all that agricultural language that seems a bit foreign to us here on the Gold Coast. Uh, but what we need to remember that in this time, agriculture was the currency of the day. And even though he's talking to a bunch of disciples who aren't necessarily all farmers, they understood this imagery and this metaphor that Jesus was saying. They were saying to remain in me, or other translations say abide or dwell, or um, the actual word can be uh, translated into make your home in. So Christ here is saying, remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me, make your home in me. But it can actually seem a bit foreign and a bit um, idealistic or metaphorical. How do we actually make our home in Christ? How do we do that? And I think firstly, it's important to think if this is actually something that we want to do, if this is something that we recognise has merit to it. You know, the feeling of remaining in ourselves is actually very limited. When we remain in us, we produce fruit like guilt and blame and always thinking that we can do better. I don't know if you've experienced that. You're in your own strength with your own ambition and it's so limited. But when we remain in Christ... When we dwell in him, abide in him, we've actually got fruit that is in kind to who he is and in kind to his Holy Spirit. So fruit like love, joy, peace, those are so much better, way much uh, more desirable than the fruit that we find in ourselves. So we want to remain in God, in Christ, rather than remaining in ourselves. That's really important for us to take ownership of so that when we read these verses, we actually think that's something I want to do because I've tried the other way and it's actually not that great. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, it's, it's not all that good. What does abiding though look like? I want to be able to express to you this morning something that actually encourages you and equips you to be able to do this. It's actually really hard and it's quite abstract unless we have some kind of structure. We think that we don't have the energy, we don't think that we have the time, so we want to be intentional in how to do this. John Mark Homer, in his book, um, he is so like swept up in this concept of abiding because it's something that we need to continue to pursue. He says this, abiding is a metaphor I keep coming back to. I want so badly to live in a deep place of love, joy, and peace. How are you abiding in Christ? What rhythms do you have in your life that help to position you in a place of abiding in him, being in his presence, lingering for the voice of God. In the last four weeks in January, we've looked through all these different um, rhythms that you're able to establish. We looked at back in the first week of slowing down, ruthlessly eliminating hurry. 
We looked at turning spiritual disciplines into a delight, something that we enjoy. We looked at silence and solitudes as gift to uh, quiet down the noise in our life in order to dial into the voice of God. We looked at Sabbath last week of this rhythm of rest, some beautiful gift that God has offered us. All these things, though, they're means to an end. They're not ends within themselves. So if you pursue silence for silence sake, you won't actually get the God-endained gift that it's given. It's a, it's a rhythm, it's a practice that helps position us in the presence of God. So it's really important to remember that these things, if you're not doing them, don't bear the fruit of shame and guilt. Rather, restore and reflect and say, how can I intentionally put these into my life to pursue Christ? So how do we install them outside of, you know, just coming here on a Sunday? A series like this, it's really inspirational. It feels great to listen to in January. It's like motivational. It sounds great. It's really easy. But the hard and the challenge is actually doing it. And so the idea of me speaking on these things and um, for us to be sharing on them, but then not actually doing it in our lives, it's such a, it's such a waste. And so what I want us to do is move us into a place of action. Uh, in last year, I thought it was quite funny how all these new things popped up. Who started something new last year for the first time? Yep, plenty of us. You know, businesses decided to create... Uh, creative online options. My local Italian restaurant uh, got so creative that they produced these boxes where they just gave you the dough, the sauce and the cheese and said, go and make it yourself. When would that have worked outside of COVID? I'm getting takeaway. Don't make me cook it. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting. My dad decided to become an artist. This is his most recent piece. That is not a photo. That is an actual... Dad, if you're watching, sorry I didn't ask your permission. Uh, don't take a photo. He might become famous. But, like, he literally had never picked up a paintbrush before March last year. What the heck? Uh, so he decided to become an amazing artist. I decided to become an amazingly terrible gardener. <laughs> terrible. <sighs> yes. So my nan a little while ago, she said to me, Anna, before I die, can you just do two things? Can you get married and can you become a gardener? <laughs> Equal rate, right? And so, Nan, look, I've done the first one. I'm working on the second. Um, but the thing is, she just said, please do this. So I thought, you know what, COVID, I'm at home. If this is ever going to work, it's going to work now. I got inspired, caught a little bit of the gardening juju that you all love. And so what I did was I ordered a lemon tree online and it got delivered to me in a box. That is so millennial and definitely should have given the, me the telltale sign that I'm not cut out for this. Then Bunnings actually established Click and Collect, which is great because I get so intimidated in Bunnings. So I just ordered things, drove up, they put it in my boot. I got a terracotta pot because they're really good for breathing, Google says. Um, <laughs> and then I got the top grade potting mix, citrus, tick, 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 done, awesome. Someone actually came up to me after the service in the 8 a.m. and said, but did you put the drainage rocks in? <laughs> no. I didn't know you were meant to do that. Anyway, they're going to come fix it for me. Um, so 
I did it all. It was great. She looked so pretty. Her name's Lulu, by the way, Lululemon. And she was doing great. Uh, watering, that actually got really tricky, to be honest, because I was watching YouTube videos on how to keep your lemon tree alive. And one video said, water your lemon tree once a week. Make sure it doesn't get too much water. I was like, okay. Then the next video auto-played and it said, make sure you water your lemon tree every day. It needs plenty of water. <laughs> what are you meant to do? Anyway, so Lulu and I took a nice journey and she is not doing well. That is the before picture. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not a great gardener. Um, she's close to the ocean and apparently lemon trees hate salt. And she's also in a wind tunnel, which doesn't help her tall, skinny body. Um, but the thing that actually I think was to her peril was the fact that this beautiful, long, lanky, skinny lemon tree, Lulu, she was given a tiny little stake. It's like a fifth of the size of her body. And in our wind tunnel that we live in, that is not doing her any favours. And so I thought, of course she's not producing any fruit. It's such a hostile environment. Why would she think that her lemons will survive in this high-risk world where she's just trying to keep her roots in? So the stake was not very big, and I think that that's, amongst other things, um, was probably the problem from the beginning. When, talking, when Jesus is talking about vines and branches, I get PTSD, obviously. <laughs> but what... John Mark Homer references and opened my eyes to was the fact that the St. Benedictine rule uh, discovered that when they read those verses around remaining in the vine and, and producing fruit, they, they thought that you need to have a trellis in order to sustain this vine. Lulu needed such a bigger trellis to be able to survive the hostile environment. Because what does a trellis do? It, support, it provides a support structure. It means that they're not just left out on their own to try and grow strong without any kind of help. A trellis lifts the vines off the ground. It, produce, uh, it provides them with something to hold onto, to position themselves towards the light, and also to uh, withstand some hostile environments withstand the elements. And so a trellis works so well for vines to be able to thrive and produce much fruit. Similarly for us, if we don't have a support structure, if we don't have a trellis in our lives that helps position us in a place towards Christ and helps us have something to hold on to, what hope do we have to be able to remain in him and to be able to produce fruit? So a trellis is something that's really important for us to establish. It's also known as a rule of life. And before I kind of lose everyone who hates rules and thinks, ah, what is she saying? It's a rule of life. It's not rules for life. So it's not a whole structure of what you must do to be a Christian. It's a rule of life. And it's a rule and it's not a law. And so rules are something that helps us thrive. It helps us protect ourselves. I think about bedtimes. Um, the rule of bedtime is so that you, as a child, are able to thrive in life um, and not throw tant uh, tantrums all the time. 
And a law is something that's kind of handed to us. There's no wriggle room. It's something that often is for us to get away, to keep away from something or to do all the right things. So a rule has flexibility in this case. It's not a solid law. And it's something for us to kind of not necessarily just put into our life and add all a bunch of things. It's also going to help us think through what we can subtract. So we're not just adding more to a very big schedule already that we have, but rather it helps give clarity to what's important in life and prioritising those over the other things. John Mark Homer um, he actually defines a rule of life for us as a, set, a schedule and set of practices and relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and do what he would do if he were us. It's a schedule, it's a set of practices, it's a relational rhythm for us to become more like Christ. Three things are really important when we're talking about a rule of life for us to consider so that you walk away from this place feeling uh, empowered to think about how you can shift your lifestyle rather than thinking through what you have to do in order to be uh, with Christ. So three things really important to help clarify. A rule of life, one, helps to turn our ideas into reality. So the ideas of, oh, I wish I could read my Bible more, the ideas of, oh, I just need to spend more time with God, a rule of life, a structure, a trellis helps us to actually do those things. My first uh, Bible school principal, he said this line around uh, the importance of fruit, and he said, fruit is the visible evidence of invisible life. Fruit's the visible evidence of invisible life. And so what I love about that is when you see a tree with fruit on it, you know that it's healthy, unlike Lulu. You know that in those cases, there must be some really great, good, solid life going on in that tree. Similar is us. When you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, it should give us evidence to the fact that they have an invisible life that's going healthy with the Holy Spirit. So fruit is the visible evidence of invisible life. And it helps turn our ideas into reality. Secondly, a rule of life helps keep us in alignment with our deepest desires. It helps keep us in alignment with who God created us to be. By having a rule of life, a set of practices, we're actually able to create space for God to shape us, for God to remind us of who he designed us to be. There's an old song that I remember. It's called, uh, Turn Your Eyes Towards Jesus. And there's a line in it that has stuck with me so strongly. It says, the, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we spend more time with Jesus, when we let him shape who we are, when we, when we let him into our deepest desires, the things of this world, the things that are not of God, they, they lose their taste. They grow strangely dim in light of who Christ is. That's why in those verses it says, you know, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Not because God is a genie, but because when our lives are aligned with him, when we have that connectivity and that intimacy that Jesus is saying that he has with the Father, when we have that relational 
uh, intimacy, our deepest desires are his deepest desires. And so, of course, he wants to see them come to fruition. Thirdly, uh, when we have a rule of life, we are able to experience peace. Not stressed anxiety busyness, but we're able to experience peace. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He calls us to live in wide open spaces, not cluttered, uh, strangled anxiety. Wide open spaces where peace is able to rule our hearts and our minds. Stephen Covey says, when we find inner peace, oh, sorry, when we find inner peace, our schedules are aligned with our values. Schedules and values are aligned. So what we do is aligned with what we want to be doing. That's where we've got real synergy and peace within our lives. So when we have a rule of life, we want to make sure that it's turning our ideas into reality. It's aligning our deepest desires with that of Christ and we're experiencing his peace, his peace in our life. I love how Margaret Gunther, she actually um, describes a rule of life. She says, a rule can actually set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. I love that spiritual budget. How are you spending your life? So our question would be, how are you going to live in 2021? How will you live this year? What rhythms will you put in place? What schedule will you have? How will you create space to remain, abide, dwell, make your home in Christ? How will that look for you this year? Our creative team has beautifully gifted us uh, this, this video with a song that speaks of how we are to meet our maker. It's done with beautiful, intentional, uh, gorgeous landscapes to stimulate your mind to see how you can contemplate who Christ is. And what I want us to do for the next three or four minutes as we watch this, this video clip is to let God really make his home in you and to let your mind think about how in your life can you create these moments, these times where you're able to contemplate God, where you're able to dwell in his presence, to be filled with his spirit, all of these things to quiet down the noise in order to dial up his voice. So how about you watch the screen and just turn off the mental notes for just three to four minutes and let God speak to you.
Isn't it beautiful just to spend three minutes being stimulated of the, the glory and the wonder of God? That is just such a tiny taste of what when we're intentional with our lives, when we establish rhythms where we create space for God, that's the way that he turns up with such intimacy, with such peace, with reminding us of who he is and who we are in him. 
So why wouldn't we want to create more time for that in our lives? It won't always feel like that because that was stunning. But God will meet you there because he promises us when we draw close to him that he draws close to us. And that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so I'd just love for us to think through as we close just how you're able to put some of these practices in your life and where to even begin with what that could look like. It's important just to start small. Just see pockets of opportunity where you're able to draw close to God. Perhaps that's in the car, you can turn off the radio, turn down the noise. Perhaps it's when you're waiting in the longest grocery line. You can take time to remember that God is there with you. Start small, but be be specific. Think about if you're going to build a trellis in your life in order for your, um, your life to grow with God, make sure that you think about what that could specifically look like. Subtract things from your life. Don't just add a bunch of these things in. Think about what can uh, be time wasters and things that don't bring you good fruit and, and do less of those in order to do more with Christ. Consider your season of life. In a room like this, we have a whole spread of seasons of life and each has a different demand and different pressure. So don't compare to other people in different seasons of life to what this could look like for you. It's deeply personal. And think about your personality. What do you enjoy doing? How has God wired you? And a rule of life is not to be torturous. It's to actually be really enjoyed. And so think about what you love doing and make sure that you've got God there with you. If you love to go on a bushwalk, do it with Christ. If you love to go to the beach, remember that Christ is with you. Be intentional with remembering to invite Christ into everything. But do things that you love, not things that are going to be torturous. The big picture as well is that we are holistic beings. You know, God says to love him with all your mind, your heart, your soul and your strength. So when you think about establishing a rule of life, make sure that you encompass all of who you are, your mind, your soul, your body, your strength, all things. In 2021, imagine if we were a church that were intentional about the rhythms that we had in our lives, that we were able to be shaped more like Christ. I get excited for the thought of just three months down the track in terms of if we're intentional with this the times that we spend reading our Bible, the times that we're in small group being able to uh, disciple one another, the times that we just press in and listen to worship music, the times that we meet up with a great friend and have good conversation over coffee. These things are all part of our rule of life in order to position ourselves more prominently in the presence of God. What does abiding in Christ look like for you? How can you establish a rhythm of making your home in Christ this year. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God who longs for us to be in relationship with you, that you draw near to us. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be speaking to each and every one of us just around the opportunities where we're able to lean into you more fully. We're able to create space for you, 
to slow down our lives, our minds, our thoughts, and tune into your frequency more often. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when we remain in you, we're able to bear such beautiful fruit in our lives. And it's a window for people who look in on us to see the beautiful God that you are. Lord Jesus, help our fruit to resemble who you are. Lord God, I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, that we will see your goodness in our lives and that we will be restored by the freshness that is found in you. Lord, help us to prioritise you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.